I sold all my my homes and apartments, and I focus on yeah nothing but self storage right now, and uh, loving absolutely every minute. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's successful real estate professional as they share it with you. Let's go. A quick word from our sponsor, Twenty Four Sound. Twenty Four Sound is technically an audio production company, but they're way more than that. They're there to help you grow your business. From audiobooks to podcasts and everything in between, they're flawless as sound engineers and they're strategic as business partners. Visit them at 24sound.com. You can also email them at hello at 24sound.com. And of course, as a best ever listener, you'll get a best ever discount. Mention best ever, and you'll get a 20% discount on your first product. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Scott Myers. Hi, Scott. Hey, Joe. How are you? Doing well, and excited to have you on the show and share your best ever advice. A little bit about Scott. He's joining us from Indianapolis, Indiana. He has... Uh, own well, he owns and developed over 2,600 self storage units. So we're going to talk about self storage units. Um, that being said, he's built a several multi million dollar business in real estate, from single family flips to multi family projects, industrial buildings, commercial office buildings, cold cold storage buildings, warehouses, parking lots, and of course, self storage. Um, that's a whole lot of stuff. So. N- I think what's going to be special about this conversation is we're going to talk about self-storage, but Scott's perspective is a holistic perspective, which is always great whenever uh, somebody has experience across multiple assets of real estate investing and has chosen to focus in on one area versus growing up and just doing one thing over and over again. There's value in that as well, but there's also value in getting the perspective of why it is good and what are the advantages and disadvantages. So with that being said, Scott, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. I'm kind of like started out, I guess, like uh, many investors in uh, single family homes. I, um, well, once I finally got a job out of college and was making some extra money, I was looking into ways to invest and uh, I, I was investing in the stock market, but it seems like every book and most of the folks I talked to also had a component to it that involved uh, real estate as well as kind of a way to, to you know hedge your bets a little bit. So I got involved in investing in single family homes and grew that side of our portfolio up to about 80 houses and then um, made the switch over to apartments or I should say didn't really switch. We added in uh, apartments and started buying um, uh, multiple apartment complexes here in uh, central Indiana. And we ramped that side of the business up to about 400 units and kind of quickly realized that, um, that, well, I quit my job uh, along the way to become a full-time real estate investor. And then all of a sudden realized that I'd kind of quit my job only to, to get involved in another job. It wasn't the, the passive income that I uh, thought and that so many of the gurus out there had taught that I was following at the, at the time. And uh, found myself uh, very quickly at the place where, you know, with a um, uh, throw a recession in there in 1999 with uh, too much month left at the end of the money. And realized I was over leveraged and really hadn't, uh, well, I really hadn't uh, kept an eye on on the business as much as I should have. And so we made it through that. But uh, beyond coming on the other side of that, 
I realized that really the the, the bulk of the issues uh, or the challenges I had in investing was not so much uh, the the markets and even being over leveraged. It was really the fact that I was losing so much money to all the tenant loss or rent loss from having tenants and toilets and trash and all the maintenance. When I began to look at the numbers year after year, and so I thought, okay, well, how can I stay in real estate uh, but be involved in a sector that isn't so volatile and and be tied to this tenant toilet and trash issue? And, uh, well, that led me to self-storage. It's really besides, uh, I guess, parking lots is really the only corner of real estate that doesn't have all the challenges of tenants and toilets and trash. And so I started learning about that side of the business and educating myself and going out to the conferences in Las Vegas and uh, very quickly became, my eyes were opened and became enamored with this this corner of real estate and found that the most profitable sector of real estate was not at the high-end trophy resorts and gleaming office towers, but it was really at the opposite end from all the trophy properties that was in these little five-by-five boxes on concrete slabs. And so I bought my first facility and realized all the value that could be created and how you can run these things with kiosks. And uh, when somebody doesn't pay, you lock them out and then you sell their stuff off and you recoup your money. And it just it was a business model that absolutely was set up to succeed and was built to protect the landlord and the investor versus habitational. And so I sold all my my homes and apartments and I focus on yeah nothing but self-storage right now and uh, loving absolutely every minute of it and um, devoting as much time as I can to go out and take advantage of the marketplace right now. We've had best ever guests on the show before who talk about self-storage and I my curiosity is definitely peaked. Um, I've never personally invested in self-storage and for all the reasons that you just mentioned, you know, the tenants, the toilets, the, I don't know if you said termites, but oh, you said trash, I think, mm-hmm. um, but maybe termites too, although that they might have an impact on self-storage, at least office building or something. But um, let I, I like on this show on this episode to get into more granular detail. I think you're the perfect person to have this conversation with. So, you know, from, you know, I'm a multifamily investor and Mm -hmm. uh, there are back of a napkin ways to quickly assess if a property is worth evaluating further. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you approach that process with storage units? Yeah, I think we kind of take the same approach. You know, we we value self storage facilities much like we do apartment complexes. You know, it's a it's a factor of you know, what is the NOI and what is the market cap rate right now to determine the value versus what a seller or a broker is asking for the property. And then beyond that, you know, where can we add the value? Uh, we look at the market. We tend to look at the market. I think probably a little more strongly than we have in the past when we were looking at um, office buildings and and other forms of warehouses and apartments and houses. Um, because it's really dependent upon the amount of square footage of self storage that is in the marketplace and what our competition is at. So we'll we'll draw a ring around the the property we're looking at, and within say three to maybe five miles, depending upon the market, determine how many facilities are out there, how many square feet of self storage there is, what their occupancy is, and determine hey if you know can we raise the occupancy in this facility if it's at sixty percent and the rest of the market is at ninety. You know what? I can fix that. That's a management issue, and we we can run circles around our competition. But if the facility we're looking at is at sixty, and all the other facilities are at fifty-five to sixty, well, guess what? You know, we we really can't build value into it, so we move on down the road to the next. So there's you know you can drill down even a little more granular, as you mentioned, to, to find out ways to be able to do that. Uh, but typically, it's it's a it's a it, it is still even though there's not much landlording, there's a tired um, person at the other side of the desk that just is run out of steam and run out of gas, usually in the property or 
some kids that have inherited a property that we can fix or a marketing issue where they haven't kept up with the times and built a website for Pete's sakes or, you know, done any of the things that you need to do in storage, like join the aggregator sites to, to get more exposure, you know, just some of those um, basic blocking and tackling as well as some advanced techniques to be able to raise the value. Those are some of the things um, back in the napkin, as you talk about, uh, that we look at initially within about you know, 10 to 15 minutes to determine if it's something to pursue or not. Where do you get the market data that you're referencing? You know, we um, either if it's in another state, if it's a, one of our students who bring us a lot of deals, or if it's a broker and or a property management company or a consultant, they can go visit those pro- the, the competition and they can get us uh, the occupancy. We can figure that out. Or if it's in a market that we're in, I'll go visit them and I'll, I'll ask them. Or we can rent a unit within the facility and go out and count locks. And, you know, in, in a half a day, uh, I can rent a unit at my competitors of the facility that I'm looking at and know exactly real time what the occupancy is in that marketplace and, and do it for about 150 bucks. So there's a couple of ways of doing that. And then we compare that with the, the market demographics that we get from the, the Chamber and the Better Business Bureau to determine what the population is in those, area, in those areas and then apply our formulas and um, move on down the road or not. Do most storage facilities, I'm, I'm going back to the example of walking the walking the property and counting locks, do most of them have padlocks or is there, and I don't have a storage unit, that's why this is going to be an ignorant question to you, um, or do have the storage units evolve so that it's keypads and that wouldn't be a tactic that you'd be able to do? You know, there, there's still an easy way to tell. Most of them have a place for two locks, one for the clients and one for the owners, and it'll have at least one lock on it for the clients. If it has two, it means that it's overlocked, which means that the owner has a lock on it and it means that they're not paying, which is another way to determine you know what the value of that facility is that's a good that's good to see too it is yeah. it is um, and probably the, the newer type of technology that we're seeing are cylinder locks that are put into the uh, the units themselves and that makes it a little bit tougher to tell uh, because all the units may have a cylinder lock in it and they exchange it out and give it to the uh, tenant um, essentially the client if they're going to be moving in they'll have their own but if it's available usually it'll have a little tag on it kind of like a twist tag that is designated with a color yellow or green, and we know that the owner has put that tag on there to show that it's available or not. So uh, a little more difficult, but but still not impossible to find out exactly what the occupancy is at these facilities. That can be you know plus or minus three percent usually. Boy, it sure would be nice in multifamily if the tenant, when you're reviewing a property and walking the walking the units, if the tenant had some sort of like extra lock on the door or or sticker to signify that they're not paying. That make that make the numbers when you run them a lot more accurate. Yeah, yeah, that would certainly help, wouldn't it? With the value add opportunities with storage. Mm-hmm. units. What are those opportunities? Yeah, I, I got to be honest with you, Joe. That is, I mean, there's many beauties of self-storage, why I love it, but um, that is definitely one of them. You know, we've identified in, in the industry, I say we, the industry, there's about 40 different profit centers that you can add to a self-storage facility to force the appreciation and, and, and generate more value. And uh, probably the most common that people see are adding third-party truck rental services like U-Haul or Penske or Budget and renting trucks out which also generates door swings, which typically generates more renters for the units. We can sell locks and boxes. And what's wait? You said you said door swings. What is what does that mean? Door swings meaning people coming in the door. Ah, okay. In a truck, <laughs> uh, they they typically need storage, and so and in many cases, and so that is a, a side benefit of that. In addition to the revenue generated by the the third party truck rental companies. We can sell locks, boxes, and moving supplies, and it's a, it's a keystone markup or a retail markup where if we 
sell a roll of tape for a buck, we probably only paid 50 cents for it. And, and that continues to add up over time. You know, we've got many other services like propane filling to uh, office um, supplies and pack and ship businesses. You can begin adding temperature controlled storage and wine storage and start. Uh, you can do record storage and shredding services by adding a shredder. The, the list continues. It just goes on and on. And we found in many instances that we can, uh, in some in some cases, we've doubled our revenue at our facilities just by adding these profit centers. Uh, within a few short months, we were able to double the amount of revenue coming into the facility with uh, these profit centers and essentially you know, doubling the value of the facility uh, without hardly raising any capital uh, for these. You know, they're all just third-party ancillary income streams that you can add just by calling up those services and saying, hey, yeah, I'll begin to sell and I'll begin to rent these or the billboard companies and having them come put a billboard on your site and they pay you twelve, fifteen, thirty thousand dollars a year to have a billboard on your site and cell phone towers. Um, the list goes on and on. It's just um, there's not a not a huge limit to the amount of value that you can build into a facility, unlike a single family house where, you know what, you can only get what the neighborhood will bear. You know, the, the, the sky's the limit when it comes to these facilities. How do you determine which profit center or centers you implement for the property? Hmm. Yeah, good question. You know, if you're out in the in the rural areas, um, you're not going to get a whole lot of traffic, and so you're and you're also have a little different clientele. You're probably not going to have high end wine storage. <laughs> but if you're in a heavily traveled area and there's not a truck rental company within one or two miles, then yeah, we're going to be calling those companies and and raising our hands saying uh, we'd love to be able to rent your trucks if you want to have a location here. And then we surveyed the market in terms of record storage. Um, if again, if it's in a rural area, you know we typically cater to the professional. Uh, most most commonly, attorneys, doctors, dentist offices that need to store records off site rather than in their office complex, which is very expensive to store things at you know the rent that they're generating there. So record storage and shredding services works very well in a, a more densely populated metro area versus a rural area. So you know we do some canvassing and we do some due diligence into the market to determine which ones will work or not. Pretty easy to add locks, boxes and moving supplies. Almost anybody coming in needs that and we certainly will, you know, march them over to the retail area, uh, but not every ancillary income stream works in every area. If you're near a lake and there's lots of you're storing lots of boats and RVs, it makes sense to to have propane um, filling and also some other services surrounding boats and RVs that you can add. Um, but if you have mostly buildings and not a huge parking area, then that's something that you wouldn't offer. I want to keep asking you questions about this, but I want to stay true to the show format as well. So what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I, I think this just kind of goes for entrepreneurship um, in, in general, Joe. There's uh, there's so many people. Uh, there's so many really successful investors out there that are just too afraid to pull the trigger. They need to research more. Um, fear overcomes them. It's the number one obstacle to you know, people getting started in the business. And, you know, we really are on in the storage industry right now. We are just really, I'm really looking forward to 2015. But, you know, we're starting to see the, the banks loosen up their purse strings. There's lending coming back. There's private investors that have money sitting on the sidelines that are getting into the real estate game. Um, don't let fear or anything else stop you from getting into the business. 2015, you know, if not by the end of this year, should be the year to begin investing in, in real estate. So uh, put put the demons, the doubts, the fears, and all the naysayers and, and all their jabber in your ear behind you and, and go out and start to make something happen. Take the information you're learning from Joe and others and, and go out and, and make it happen. 
And why do you say 2015 should be the year to start investing if you haven't already? I, I, I see a lot of momentum um, for, for my company as well as others. I, I think we're, we're, we're seeing the dynamics in, the, in, in our economy change. Uh, we're seeing we are coming out of this recession a bit. We're focusing on the markets in which uh, the, the gas and oil fracking is having a big play and, and moving into those areas. And uh, I just see a lot of factors in the financial markets and from the private lending markets, which is where we generate the lion's share of our investors and our our capital to go out and and invest, as well as the pent-up demand for storage. It's just creating a a perfect perfect opportunity for us to be able to go out and take advantage of uh, the market factors right now. And what I uh, foresee is a a pretty short window within the next two to three years, uh, again, to go out and make some serious money. But that, that, that goes for... I think all factors or all all sectors of real estate right now, we're seeing the cheapest money we've ever seen still, and some fantastic deals. And there's always going to be distressed property out there to take advantage of. And so we really have some some market dynamics that are in our favor right now. And 2015 is is definitely going to be a good year for our organization. What are some markets where fracking is having a positive influence from an economic standpoint? Um, well, you already know this, Joe, but for the other folks that haven't uh, looked out there, uh, you know, North Dakota, uh, you know, unless you're living under a rock, um, you can't get away from what's going on up there. But um, Texas uh, is continuing to, to, to find more reserves as they've been able to utilize that technology. Um, Ohio and Pennsylvania, the old oil fields from back at the turn of the century are now being tapped again. Uh, we're seeing huge shale areas and deposits uh, that have been located uh, in Michigan and in Illinois, and it's just a matter of time. Uh, Mississippi, there's just many states that, you know, once they get a handle on uh, regulating this, if you if you will, and, and opening it up again, we're going to see a lot of markets that are going to begin to uh, tap into that. And you know, we're we're gonna we're we're on the road to becoming energy independent within the next uh, decade, if not uh, less than that. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yep, go for it. A quick word from our best ever sponsor. Best ever listeners, if you want to grow your business, you need an audio product. Contact 24sound at 24sound.com for a free consultation. And remember, you'll get 20% off your first product just by mentioning best ever. Best ever book you've read. They can grow rich, Napoleon Hill, without a doubt. It's on my desk right now. And best ever listeners, I know you like audio, so you can go to freebesteverbook.com and get a free audio version of a book like that. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it. Um, I got into a partnership that um, forced me to go into a Chapter 11 and wind down uh, an LLC that I had. And uh, I never would wish that on anybody, but it was also the best learning experience of my life. I learned about finance. I learned about partners. I learned about attorneys. Uh, and learn a lot about myself and how to protect that from happening again. And we came out stronger on the other side. What's the number one takeaway that you're learn you learned from that that you're applying now? Oh wow! You know, um, I think that has forced us to dig deep and to to look at building uh, our business with partners and syndicating and putting deals together. And when you spread the risk and you don't have to have that bank debt due. And that payment once a month, it certainly puts you in a better position and also allows you to be able to buy more properties uh, that banks wouldn't look at. Best ever success habit you practice? Uh, I'm pretty disciplined. I, I get up in the morning at four o'clock, get a cup of coffee, walk around, kind of plan my day in my head and head to the gym and then start the day after that. Congratulations. That is uh, four o'clock makes you the earliest riser of any best ever guests I've interviewed. Yeah. And you're like over, I've interviewed over a hundred people. So congrats for that. <laughs> well, thanks. I, I'm sure somebody will come along that to love that'll beat that before long. <laughs> what time do you go to bed? 
Uh, uh, I require very little sleep, probably 1030 to 11. Best ever deal you've done. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting in it right now. It's a building that I bought in 2005 for a million and a half. I sold it uh, two and a half years later for $4 million. Do the math on that. And then I bought it back again from the bank for $545,000 two and a half years later. And we're going to do it all over again and project to sell it at uh, somewhere between 2.5 and 3 million again. So it's, uh, it's the, the gift that keeps giving, the building that keeps giving. What happened to it uh, from the 4 million to the 500,000? Uh, the investor that uh, bought it from me was a developer out of California and he went bankrupt. It went back to the bank. This was um, 2008, 2009 time period. And uh, the bank held on for forever, and it just continued to, to, to decline. And then uh, finally, I was their, their last shot. Nobody wanted to buy it, but I was the only one that uh, I, I guess that wanted it or could turn it around again. And so here we are. And what kind of building is it? It's a big old industrial building. It's 200,000 square feet. It's a, it was an old A&P grocery depot. So it has offices and warehouses and refrigerated and cold storage parking. It's got a little bit of everything. And, of course, self-storage. And so what type of tenants do you have in it? Oh, we've got from attorneys to little one-man um, bands that are contractors to produce companies. We have um, a division of uh, the hospital in here. Um, gosh, a number of uh, entrepreneurs. It's really a lot of small offices, so it's mostly a, a building full of entrepreneurs and small business owners. Best ever quote. Wow. You know, Winston Churchill, um, and, and by the way, he's misquoted many times. He says, never, ever give up. It's never, ever give in. And um, I find myself saying that uh, just about every day. And I think uh, many entrepreneurs, um, you know, find themselves with it. We, we find ourselves with our back against the wall and told no a lot. And um, at the end of the day, we just can't give up or give in, you know, sleep on it. Think about it. The next day, get up, find your resources and, and, and forge ahead. Don't give up. Don't give in. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? You know what? I, I think probably at, at a time when um, our apartments and our, our single family homes were, were failing is putting too much of my own money into it rather than calling it uh, what it is, which is a business and, and separating that from the personal finances. And what's the best ever place to reach you? Selfstorageinvesting.com is probably the best place uh, to find uh, all types of information as well as uh, access to uh, my email and our office phone number. And best ever listeners, you can go to besteversurvey.com and enter to win Brandon Turner's book, Investing in Real Estate with No and Low Money Down. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for sharing your advice with the best ever listeners and talking about self-storage and your career and the pitfalls and you know where, where you feel the market's head in 2015. Incredibly good stuff and really grateful for having you on the show. Hey, my pleasure, Joe. Good spending time with you. Hey, you, best ever listener. Do you want more? Then head to JoeFairless.com, where there are tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And if you want Joe to personally help you reach your goals, then go to the Work With Joe tab on JoeFairless.com and apply to, well, Work With Joe. 